0: All right, let's start with the word of prayer. Let's dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us tonight. We pray that man would decrease, that your Spirit would increase, that so you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So we know that First and Second Chronicles were written to the Children of Israel who were in, actually the children of Judah, to be more specific, who had been in Babylon for 70 years in bondage and now are returning to Jerusalem. And as they are coming back, they're being given a history lesson. These books are written, uh, most believe, by Ezra. And he's given them a history lesson. First Chronicles is really the life of King David. That's the, the main focus. When we get to Second Chronicles, it's the life of... Of King Solomon in the beginning, and now it's been all those again the heirs that came came after him. The last several weeks we've been looking at Jehoshaphat. We know that his father was King Asa. We know that the kings in Israel, all of them, were wicked. During the entire time of First and Second Chronicles, we don't see one godly king. It's the very reason they got shipped off, that, that God allowed the Babylonians to take them captive. Judah, some of the kings were godly and some weren't. Asa was a godly man. Here's Jehoshaphat. He's a godly man also, but if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we're going to see him do this again tonight. And it just kind of reminds me of our lives, amen? You see somebody totally mess up. We see God restore them and forgive them. And then they do it again. Anybody relate to that besides me sometimes, amen? And so we know that Jehoshaphat was being faithful. He was being a righteous, a righteous king. And then he made, uh, you know, a, what's the right word here? He, uh, I can't, a vapor lock, and this means I'm getting old. So he, he came into an agreement with King Ahab. And we know that Ahab was the most ungodly of all the kings. So Israel had nothing but ungodly kings, and the worst one among them was King Ahab. Ahab's wife's name was Jezebel. She's so wicked, she broke the name. Nobody's named Jezebel anymore because of her, right? But here's a godly man aligning himself with Ahab, because Ahab was the king of Israel, and Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And sadly, what happened, though, he allowed his son to marry one of the daughters of Ahab. And in doing so, it was supposed this was something they did politically to kind of join their nations together, but sadly we're going to see that later his son is going to get caught up in a idolatry that's brought into Jerusalem by his wife who was Ahab's daughter, Jezebel, was the one who brought the worship of Baal into Israel. And so because of his compromise, we saw that there were heavy consequences and he even went out into battle. If you remember from two chapters ago, he went out into battle, even though the Lord had sent a prophet to warn him not to go and he went anyway. And guys, we've all done that as well too. We see what the word of God says. It's very clear. God tells us not to do it. And then we do it anyway And you know what, even though sometimes we may feel like we're getting away with it for a time, the consequences are coming and it it breaks fellowship with God. And so here we saw that happening with, again, because of Ahab and they went out into battle uh, trying to bring Ramath Gilead back from the Syrians. And when they went out into battle, if you remember, Ahab told, uh, he told Jehoshaphat to dress up like the king because Ahab knew that everyone was trying to kill him. And so he had him dressed like the king and then the people came and they were about to kill Jehoshaphat and he cried out to God, Lord help. And God delivered him. And then a guy was shooting arrows at random and one went into the sky and hit Ahab and he sat on his, you know, sat on the ground and died as he was watching the battle take place. So last week we saw that Jehoshaphat again was, because of God delivering him, In the midst of this battle, when he cried out to the Lord, he comes home. And when he gets home, he breathes a sigh of relief. And what does he do? He brings reformation back to Judah. Gets rid of the false idols again. We're going to see he didn't tear down all the high places. But he tries to get their eyes back on the Lord to return back to serving the true and living God. He brought reforms, but we also saw again, that he made some bad choices toward the end. So now we come to tonight's chapter, in chapter 20. And he had, it says at the end of last chapter, behave courageously and the Lord will be good with you. The Lord will be with you good. So here's what happens. God raises up righteous judges. They start to follow the Lord again. Uh, They've just had victories over their enemies. Everything seems to be back in place. And guess what's going to happen? The enemy's going to attack. And often that's what happens in our relationship and our life on this planet is that we're living for the Lord. We're walking with him and the enemy, though his resources are limited, the Bible tells us we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. So it's a spiritual battle that we fight. The three enemies we fight daily are the world, the flesh, and the devil. You hear me say it all the time. I get up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, you got to die, right? We got to die to self, walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Again, it can be the enemy, and sometimes it's just plain stinking us, amen, and the choices that we make and the people we hang out with. And so I titled the message tonight, when the enemy attacks, when do spiritual attacks come? When is temptation going to be greatest? How many of you guys have been tempted this week by the enemy? If your hand's not up, you're not awake. Can I get him into that? So what, what happens is that with temptation, we've talked about this, it's an opportunity to grow or an opportunity to fall. That with temptation says we we resist the devil he flees from us, and so we're going to see that Jehoshaphat's back into a place of comfort. He's brought reforms to the city. They're back walking with the Lord. Here comes the enemy. So the first thing we're going to see about when the enemy attacks, it's without warning. You know, Satan is not in the in the business of giving you warnings. When he he wants to bring temptation, he's going to bring it at your most vulnerable moment. We see this example in Jesus. When did he tempt Jesus? After he fasted 40 days when he was alone. Now, he's almighty God and Satan's toast compared to him. Amen. But that's the example of when he comes after us. When we're in our moments of weakness, when we're struggling the most, when we're hungry, when we're hurting, but also he can do it when we're kind of on the cruise ship to heaven and everything seems pretty good. And so here, that's what's going to happen. We're going to see that tonight, that without warning, often during fruitful times when God is doing a good work and when we are comfortable. Number two, when the enemy attacks, when he does, stop what you're doing and seek the Lord. Guys, we, while Satan is a defeated foe, we didn't defeat him, the Lord did. Amen. And if we go against the enemy in our own strength, we're gonna lose. And that's why we don't even enter into it. We just put him in the Lord's hands. And so when you're going through a great trial, when you're being tempted, when when you're going through those, when you know that's the attack of the enemy on your life, the first thing we ought to do is get on our knees and cry out to God. Amen? Stop whatever you're doing, set everything else aside. Don't call the 1-900-psychic line, amen? Don't reach out to the world for a counsel. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Guys, the veil's been torn. We can enter into Almighty God's presence. Why would we turn to anyone else but Him, amen? And so stop what we're doing. And again, so when we're fearful, when we're under attack, how should we respond? Prayer is the best way to respond when we're dealing with fear. We're gonna see that when the attack comes, we're gonna see Jehoshaphat become afraid, And we know that we all deal with fear and fear is a very real emotion. And fear sometimes can be for our own safety. If a lion ran in here, I would hope you're all afraid and you ran out the door. Amen? But God has not given us a spirit of fear. When it comes to the things like we're going to talk about tonight, we should be, again, make God the priority. And then not only pray, but bring others to pray. Uh, One of the things I'm doing now, so I want to encourage you, most of you know, after 35 years of being bivocational, vocational about four weeks ago, five weeks ago. I'm now full-time. And one of the things I'm doing is two days a week, I'm doing like a two and a half, three-hour prayer walk, where I'm just taking the prayer requests to get turned in. And I have some trails near my house, and I just go and walk and pray. And so if you want to get prayed for, put your prayer requests in the box, and I promise you they will be prayed for throughout the week. And you know what? But prayer is something we all should be doing. Amen? Amen. It's a privilege. We get to enter into the presence of Almighty God, but notice that He doesn't just pray himself, but he brings people together to pray. You know, we're two or more gathered in my name, right? There are in the midst of them. We should be praying on our own, but we should also be praying with other people. It's good to have prayer corporately as well. Notice when you pray too, that we stand in the presence of God, we draw near to Him. And when we're going through trials, keep your eyes on the Lord. Number three, know that the Lord answers your prayer. Now we pray in our time, God answered his, answers in his time and he answers every prayer. Sometimes he says no. Amen. Other times he says, wait. So when we pray, we know that God will answer in according to his perfect time and his perfect will. And God will direct us as we pray through the Holy Spirit through his word, or as we'll see in tonight's text, he's just going to use another believer. So... We're going to see Jehoshaphat cry out to God and then God is going to speak to one of the Levites and give them the answer to the prayer that Jehoshaphat is praying for the nation. And he's going to be the one that brings the message from the Lord. And to me, this is the best example in the entire Old Testament tonight of what happens when God can use somebody to speak through them, to give them a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. Again, we'll see that everything's done decently and in order, and that the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. And, and I've had people, how many of you ever had somebody come up to you and say, I have a word for you from the Lord? Who's ever had that happen? I'm surprised it's not every hand in the room. I guess because I'm a pastor, people tell me that a lot. I got a word for you, okay? And here's the reality. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes not so much. Sometimes I think they eat a chili dog and they just got a stomach ache and they're telling me what they think. But here's the reality, is that when someone has a word for the Lord from you, what should you check it against? A word of God. It will always agree with the word of God. Right? And I have had people come and tell me things and go, you know what? That's the Lord. I've been praying about that. I've shared that with nobody. And we're going to see that in tonight's text taking place all the way back in the Old Testament. Number four, respond with a heart of worship and praise. Guys, when God answers prayer, should we not thank Him? What's the answer? And I don't think we thank Him enough. Whenever I think of that, I always think of the parable. Remember the lepers? And He heals them, and they go show themselves to the priest. And the only one that comes back and thanks the Lord is a, is a guy who's a Gentile. He gen, they, they they, they healed him. They want, ran away. I mean, you got leprosy. That's a death sentence. This is an amazing thing that happened. And they don't even thank the Lord. And we see that example. And guys, we should be thanking the Lord. Guys, we can't say thank you to the Lord enough. Amen. Amen? We should be thanking him all the time and praising him. And you know what? It should bring us to a heart of worship and praise When he answers prayer, even when it's not the way we want, we should thank him anyway. Amen. Number five, know that the battle belongs to the Lord. You know, in the midst of the spiritual battles that we can go through in life, it's easy to be overwhelmed and it's easy to be discouraged and it's easy to keep your eyes on the storm instead of your eyes on the Savior. We always talk about this as an example of them crossing over the Sea of Galilee. And again, he tells them we're going over to the other side and to get halfway there. And the waves are high and fishermen are panicking. So, you know, the waves are huge and they're mad at the Lord because he's sleeping. Guys, if you're looking at the waves, you'll panic. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll be at peace. Amen. God's on the throne. Number six. Thank the Lord for His blessing and victory. To Him alone be the praise and honor and glory. Whenever God chooses to use us or God does something in us or through us, we must never, ever, ever, ever take any of the credit. Amen? Because, guys, God doesn't use us because we're good. He uses us because He's good. And He doesn't need us. We need Him. Amen? And we're just tools in the hands of the master. The Bible says he uses the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. And there's, you've heard me say it before, there's only room for one celebrity in Christianity, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? And then finally, learn from your mistakes, don't repeat them. At the end of the text, we're going to see Jehoshaphat, after God does an amazing work in the first 30 verses of this chapter, at the very end of it, he's going to align himself with Ahab's son. Dude, really, bro? Right? Now, the Bible does not hide the frailties of its heroes. Amen? And that's good because it gives me hope that God can use me too. Amen? But it's amazing when, you know, when we read it and we see what happened, aligning himself with Ahab, what a complete disaster it was. It would have cost him his life if God didn't rescue him. And now he's going to do the same thing again right after God does a mighty and awesome work. And it's like holding on to Agag, right? Remember the Amalekites, the king of the flesh? It's that one thing that we can continue to struggle with if we don't surrender fully to the Lord. So let's begin there in 2 Chronicles, looking at when the enemy attacks. One of the verses that came to mind as I've been studying this chapter all week is that talking about how righteousness will build up a nation, right? But sin is, and I'm paraphrasing here, it's trouble to all people. And, you know, in our own nation, we're getting further and further away from the Lord. Amen? And we're seeing that as a nation, that, that God will not force himself upon us as a nation. He will not force himself upon us as individuals. And when you honor the Lord, God blesses the nation. And when the nation dishonors God, we see the heavy consequences that will come. And there have been many great nations that have fallen because of their immorality and their walking away from the true and living God. And in tonight's text, we're going to see that temptation taking place. And there's kind of a correlation with what we're going through in the world today. So let's begin there in verse 1. When the enemy attacks, first of all, he does it without warning. It happened after this, okay, so after they had, again, reestablished everything in the nation again, there was no more partiality, again, they had, were back in the acting in the fear of the Lord and honoring him, and things were, again, being restored in the nation. This threat to Jehoshaphat and his kingdom happened after his return to seeking God and following his near death when he had he had uh, aligned with Ahab. So he had been, escaped death. He had reestablished rightful worship within the kingdom. He had brought the people back close to the Lord again, it says in the previous chapter. And now as they're honoring the Lord, this happens. It comes upon him. Uh, his d- disobedience had led to dispar- desperation in the past, and again... He tells him in chapter 19, remember, this is what he said to him, and I want to repeat this because it's going to come into play at the end of this chapter. He says this to uh, Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those that hate the Lord? That's a good word for all of us. Amen? Amen. Should you love the wicked and help those that hate the Lord? Now, we can minister to people, but should we have fellowship with them? Should we participate in things with them? And so Jehoshaphat, again, he brought reformation to Judah. He brought back the Lord. He exhorted the judges not to judge for man, but to judge for the Lord. Boy, we could use that with our judges right now. Amen? Instead, it's become a political thing, and if you have the right judges in the right place that are honoring the law, the nation is blessed. When it becomes political and you have 10 million people vote for something and one judge turn it over again, it's something that brings damage to the nation. He also told him, Let the fear of the Lord be with you. So do not judge for man, but judge for the Lord, and no sooner. When Judah had led them back to the Lord, then here comes the enemy. So it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and the others there besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Now the Moabites and the Ammonites, uh, bonus question, are descendants of who? Lot. Lot. Remember, and what's amazing, you know who Lot is, right? Who's Lot? Where, Where did he, where did he, he got to choose where he wanted to live and where did he choose? Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because it'll look good from the outside. You know, we can get caught up in how things look from the outside. We know that, that he's called righteous lot in the Bible. Boy, that gives me hope. Amen. And Lot, we know, had camped towards Sodom. Then he was living in Sodom. Before you know it, he was in leadership there. Remember that the angels came to warn him, and the men tried to have sex with the angels out in the city square. And And Lot throws his virgin daughters out. Well, the Moabites and the Ammonites are descendants of Lot. When he had incest, they got him drunk, and he slept with his daughters. And that's where the Ammonites and the Moabites came from. You talk about a fleshly tribe. Now, one thing to know about these guys is when they were coming from Egypt to the land of promise, they ran across the Moabites and the Ammonites and God told them not to harm them, to let them be. And now they're in the land of promise and they've been there. And now these guys are going to come, these very people that they did not attack when they could have, when God told them withhold going against them, because Lot and Abraham were related, right? And he said, don't attack them. Well, now they're going to attack him. And so here he is, not only the surprise of being attacked, but who he's being attacked by. Because they are distant relatives, as we know. And so also the Ammonites, and these are people who... uh, lived just about 12 miles southeast of Petra in the capital of the Edomites. And again, this is down near the Dead Sea. If you're going to Israel with us, we'll be going there. Now watch. So they come and attack him. And it says in verse 2, Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea from Syria. And they are in Harazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. So a great multitude, this is a major concern. This is life-threatening. This is not a minor inconvenience. You know, sometimes as believers, we have trials we go through, but they're not life and death. They're times of difficulty. Uh, maybe your job's on the line. Some of them are, you know, can be ma- have a major impact on your life. But then there's those where there's no hope anywhere else but from the Lord. Amen. You find out that someone in your family has cancer. There's something that takes place that is going to that is life threatening, and so certainly Jehoshaphat, when he hears that they're coming, and and all these uh, kingdoms have come together to attack Israel, this is a major major event. And again, there's reformation in the land. He brought back the Lord of their fathers, and now the enemy is going to attack full force, and it's overwhelming. If you enter the battle alone, by the way, in Gedi is near the Dead Sea. And we know that they're, so they're about 20 miles from where he is. If he's finding out that they're coming and they're not very far away, they're not hundreds of miles away. They're about 22 miles away. By the way, in one of my favorite places when we go to Israel, it's really this oasis out in the middle of the desert. And it's the cave where, uh, where David hid when Saul came in to use the restroom, you guys remember that? And he cuts it. So that's where En is. And it's down south near the, the, the Dead Sea. And so they're coming in force. They got multiple cities and armies. They're all coming after Jehoshaphat. And now in the midst of all of this, again, by the time he hears about it, they're at the door. So it's life-threatening. It's with very little warning. How will Jehoshaphat respond How do you respond when you get that news that just happens in a moment? What are you going to do? Comes out of nowhere. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Again, try not to talk about this a lot, but I'll never forget September 17th, 2021, opening up my son's bedroom door and seeing him all blue on the edge of his bed and pulling him down and doing CPR and crying out to the Lord And then sitting outside, and when the EMTs are working on him, then they come out and say, he's gone. And in five minutes, my life has changed forever. And so now, how do we respond? What do we do? Do we blame God? Do we get mad at God? Or do we turn to the Lord? Do we ask him why? Or just we say, how and what? How do you want to use this, Lord? And what do you want to do with this? How are you going to use this for your glory? Do we thank him that we know the truth of the word of God? To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord? Because I knew that my son knew the Lord. But these, these, are the tr- these are the moments in life, these heavy-duty things that take place. You know, Thankfully, there's not a ton of them. But when they happen, how are you going to respond? What are you going to do? Jehoshaphat? is in a situation where he's going to have to figure out how to respond. So, Point number one there, when the enemy attacks, often without warning, often during fruitful times when God is doing a good work, when we're comfortable, the enemy may show up. Number two, stop what you are doing and seek the Lord. So this event's coming. These armies are, are coming down. Here they come. And he knows that they're, they're going to outnumber his army, even though his army is great. He knows that, look, we're in trouble. And so what does he do? Look at verse three. It says there, "Then Jehoshaphat feared. Now again, it's fear, sin. What's the answer? It's not fear to sin, it's, but it's, sin. it's not a sin to fear, but if we camp out there, we've lost sight of who's in control. Amen? Because God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. But notice when he feared, he didn't go dig a hole and crawl into it. He didn't uh, get his people and run away. What did he do? Look what it says. He, Joseph had feared and set himself to seek the Lord. So he stopped everything, knowing that they were coming. He didn't get all his generals together and say, let's figure out a good way to defend ourselves, though that's not a bad idea eventually. But he didn't make the last thing he did was turn to the Lord. He made the first thing that he did was turn to the Lord. When Mark went to heaven, I was out on the, I was out on the uh, we have this little area, and the, the police officer, I just fell out, as you can imagine, and I was just crying out to God. And then I knew I had to come here and find my wife and tell her, and then call my other three children on the phone, and, and then come to church two days later, and let you guys minister to us and minister to you. But you know what? The first place, I, I didn't know where else, to, I, there was nowhere else to go but to the Lord. But the good news is, we can go to the Lord. Amen? When these kind of tragedies happen to the world, they have nowhere to go. And we can go to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's not surprised by anything. Is, is, the, is the Almighty God surprised that the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Edomites are coming to attack his children? What's the answer? He's not, he's not, he knew before the foundation of the world. And so what does he do? He's going to align himself with the Lord and say, Lord, hey, he's afraid. I'm afraid. Let me ask God. Let me seek the Lord, and I'm so thankful we don't have to go through things like this alone. See, sometimes God uses the difficulties of life to keep us humble, broken, and desperate for Him. You know, uh, the lesson here is we all need help. Without Him, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? So whatever those trials are that we're going through, we can go through it alone, and we can try to carry the weight ourselves, but His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And I don't think I'd be standing here. If I didn't know the Lord, I don't even know if I'd be here. But because we have a relationship with the Lord, he's the one who walks with us through it. We grieve but not as those without hope. And in this case, yeah, this armies are coming, but I'm going to cry out to God because if God is for us, who can be against us? Pastor Chuck used to always talk about his first 17 years of ministry, every church he pastored fell apart. And he had been pastoring. He had one after 17 years that he took the church and he served and poured his life into the church. It was had 50 people. He poured his life into this church for two years, sacrificially did everything he could to minister to them. And two years later, went from 50 to 17. And he said, you just feel like a failure. But we know what that does is it makes you realize I can't do this. Only God can. And you know what makes us usable? When we recognize it's not about me, it's about him. Amen. And if you guys saw the Jesus revolution, when we had showed it to the whole church, we saw how God did a great and awesome work through a man who had gone through difficulty and recognized he couldn't do it on his own. And so when it did happen, he knew it was the Lord and God gets all the glory. Amen. So here's Jehoshaphat. He's crying out to the Lord. He seeks the Lord. But notice what else it says here. And I love this. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. We see in the Bible that praying and fasting together is something that God, you know, calls us to. And I don't know if you've ever done that before, but you know what fasting is? It's really putting our flesh to death. That hunger that when your stomach rumbles, instead of grabbing a cheeseburger, you get on your knees and pray. Amen? And you know, for, I had a good friend of mine who had two daughters that were terminally ill, and we, we fasted and prayed every Monday for, I don't know, five years. And we worked in the same office. And so every Monday during, during lunch, we would go in and sit in an office and just pray. And, you know, when we fast and pray, you know, it's, it's something that God encourages us to do because what we're doing is we're putting our flesh to death. So he's afraid. And what does he do? He not only prays himself, but he calls for the people to fast and pray as well to set his eyes on the Lord. Joseph had called the nation to express their humility and total dependence upon God through a public fast that's abstaining from all food for for a period of time and usually drinking only water. Jesus explained in Mark that prayer and fasting together were a source of significant spiritual power. It isn't as if prayer and fasting make us more worthy to be blessed by God's work. It is prayer and fasting that draws us closer to the heart of the Lord, that puts us more in line with this power. And fasting is a powerful expression of our total dependence upon God. And again, we don't, we don't do things like fast and pray so God will give us stuff. Our motivation for fasting, if we fast and pray, if we pray, is to get closer to the Lord. Amen? That's our motivation. Not like, well, if I do this for God, then he'll give me stuff. Guys, if the motivation is anything other than getting closer to the Lord, then we've missed it. Amen? Because the greatest thing we can do is get closer to God. And so the attitude is summed up by the word seek, which occurs twice in Hebrew, And again, this is the key to Jehoshaphat's reign. And the word seek there also has the sense of worship. So he stopped and started worshiping the Lord. He was fasting. He was praying. He called the nation to fast and pray. And this is a man that when the enemy is coming, understands the greatest thing we can do is turn to the Lord and turn to him first. And whatever trial you're going through, don't make God the last resort. Make him the first stop. Amen? i I've had people, I just had it on Sunday. People come up, well, yeah, I've got this problem. I've been, I've gone to 14 doctors. Nothing wrong with that. And I did this and I did this and I did this. Well, I guess I can try praying. And I'm like, well, we, maybe if we had started at prayer, we wouldn't have had to do all the other stuff. But again, we pray God's will be done and we trust him no matter how he answers. So the key is to seek the Lord. And, to, and when we seek the Lord, you know what happens? We get to know his will. Isn't that what we want more than anything? I want to know your will, Lord. I want to know your heart. I want to walk in the center of your will. I want to be the man you've called me to be. Verse 4, so Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now, praise God that Jehoshaphat, because he had brought the worship of the Lord back to, to Judah, because they were worshiping the Lord again, when he called them to come and fast and pray, the people came. See, it's one thing to call people to fast and pray, and it's another thing to have them show up. Amen. You know what's been said? You can tell who loves God by who comes on Sunday. You can tell who loves the no, you can tell who loves the church by who comes on Sunday. You can tell who loves the pastor by who comes on Thursday, and you can tell who loves the Lord by who comes to a prayer meeting. <laughs> and it's amazing. How I just, we shall make my father's house a house of prayer. Who needs to pray more besides me? I, I, when we get to heaven, I think that's the thing. I'm just gonna be slapping myself. If I didn't pray more. When we see the greatness of our God and who he is, again, And so he gathers them together, and we know in 2 Chronicles it says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So notice what he's going to do here. He's called them all together to come to fast and pray, and now he's going to lead them in prayer. Then it says in verse 5, then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And you do not rule over, do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand there is not power and might. So that no one is able to withstand you. The first thing we should be doing in prayer, and I want to encourage you to do this, and it's in the model prayer that we see in the Gospels, which is how does it, how does the and it's not really the Lord's prayer, it's the model prayer, but we call it the Lord's prayer. How does it start? Our Father, what? And then what? Hallowed be thy name. The first thing that he does in the model prayer is acknowledge the greatness of God. And the first thing we see Jehoshaphat do here in his model prayer is he talks about the greatness of God. When you pray, a priority should be that you know who you're praying to. Amen? Amen? Just because someone says, I pray. And, and you, know, most, you know, like I said, I work for the same company 35 years, and I would talk to people and they go, oh, I'm going to pray on that. I said, who are you praying to? Well, I just pray. Well, who are you praying to? I just pray to the universe. That's going to be worth nothing. Can I get an amen to that? It's like yelling down a well. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? There's only one God. There's only one who hears our prayers. Only one who can do something about it. Amen? So the first thing that we need to understand is how great our God is. Because see, our problems are small if our God is great. Our problems are only great if our God is small. We don't serve a small God. We serve a great God. When I get up here to pray, every time I pray, how do I start? You're a holy and awesome God, amen? You're holy, you're righteous, you're just, you're faithful, you're true, you're the King of kings, you're the Lord of lords. You know what it does? God doesn't need us to tell him who he is, he already knows. It's reminding us of who he is as we pray, amen? It's reminding us that that's who I'm talking to. I've had family members who've struggled with addiction, and I've gone to some of those meetings, and they'll say, you're higher power. I just want my head to explode. My higher power is a doorknob. Really? You know, my higher power is Mother Earth. And again, okay, I'm glad you're here. I hope this helps you get sober, but you need to get saved. Can I get an amen to that? And God can use it, but you know what? People need Jesus, amen? And guys, we, we get to talk to the creator. The veil's been torn. We can enter his presence anywhere at any time. He loves you and he longs to spend time with you. And you're as close to God as you want to be, Amen. So, who are we praying to? Who are we addressing our prayers to? And if, you know, I rem, it's, it reminds me of when the Pharisee comes in and the publican to pray. You guys remember this from Luke 18? And the Pharisee comes in and starts talking about how amazing he is. I'm thankful that I'm not like other men. You know, he starts go. He's praying to himself. He's filled with himself. He's amazed by himself. And the tax collector, the publican comes in, and he is just blown away by his own sinfulness and doesn't feel worthy at all. And guess whose prayer God hears and answers? Not the self-righteous, arrogant person that somehow is really almost praying to himself instead of crying out to Almighty God. So remember who you're praying to. And then it says there in verse 7, it says, Are you not our God? who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name. Not only do we need to focus on who we're praying to, but we need to remember the promises of God. Amen? And so what he's doing is he's praying, praying according to God's promises. Where do we find God's promises? In God's word. Amen? So when we pray, we need to know who we're praying to, and we need to know the promises that he has made to us. And he's saying, look, aren't, you're the God of our nation. Does God already know that? Of course he does. You're the God of our nation. You're the one that brought us here. You're the one who, you know, you're, you're our God. You're our king. You're the, one who, you're the one who gave us this land, and he's talking about the promises. Guys, like when I pray for my kids and grandkids, you know, the word tells us, that raise up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. There's many other verses like that. And I will say, Lord, as you have promised in your word, if I raise up my children the way that they should go, when they're old, they will not depart from it. I'm asking in Jesus' name that, Lord, you would answer that prayer, that that would be true of my own children. I'm coming humbly before you. Help me to raise them up in the way that they should go. Please, Lord, according to your promises in your word, may they never turn away from you. So, you're praying according to what the Word of God already says, and you know who you're praying to, and that's powerful prayer because we pray according to the Word, not according to our wants. God's promises in the Word of God, He promises that we have eternal life. How many of you guys are excited about that? Should be a little more excited than that. Amen. <laughs> Heaven's better. Amen. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Christians don't die, we move to a much better neighborhood. We close our eyes on earth, we open them up in glory. Guys, it just doesn't get any better. And, you know, we can pray according to the promise that we have eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. I've probably done, I don't know, 300 funerals in my life, maybe more. And you know what? I love when the people know the Lord, because why, while we grieve, we also have hope. Amen. And we know it's not goodbye, it's we'll see you soon, and we're envious because they're in heaven and we're not, and they're doing better than we are. But there's a blessing and a joy in knowing the promises of God of eternal life. He also promises in Isaiah that no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise up against thee in judgment shall thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and the righteousness is of me, says the Lord. If we're his servants, he will take care of the Enemy. That's what that verse means. Lord, as your word tells us, because we are your servants, you will take care of the enemy. And Lord, the enemy's coming. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you would, I know that you will be faithful to the promise you've already made to us, and I'm praying and asking you to do that. Amen? See, we're not praying according to our wants. I prayed, you know, all the time, God doesn't answer my prayer. What are you praying for? Well, you know, I want a new Corvette. They're on back order and I don't have the down payment, but I ask God to give me one. <laughs> Help. Can I get an amen to that? We're praying for things that are perishing. You know what God wants for us? What's best for us? Amen? And there might be there might be that promotion at work, and I'm not saying wrong to pray for that, but guys. Maybe that promotion is going to take up so much of my time that I'm not going to spend as much time in the Word, and I'm not going to spend as much time with my wife, and I'm not going to spend as much time with my kids. And God knows if I get it, my walk will suffer, my marriage will suffer, my relationship with my kids will suffer, and my kids will suffer. And because He knows what best, He says no. And we praise Him. Amen? So we, we know who we're praying to. That's key. And then we need to know the promises that He has made. It also says in Romans 8.28 that we know all things work together for good for them that love God to them that are called according to his purpose. You know, the people love to read the first part of that verse. They always love to read the part where it's all things work together for good for those that love God. The called according to whose purpose? So what God is doing is for his purpose, not your comfort. Amen. Well, I prayed about it and God wants what's good for me. Promotion's good. I should get it. Maybe so. But again, it's according to his purpose, not ours. We may not always understand what is happening to us or when things will work out, but God says he'll make it for good. And it's an eternal good he's talking about. Then he says there in verse eight, and they dwell in it and have built your sanctuary in it for your name. And again, He's saying you are God. We are your people. We worship you. We dwell with you. This is the relationship that we have. I I Lord, we're your people. You called us. You delivered us out of bondage in Egypt. And again as we're repeating this, again it's not educating God. He already knows. But again, I believe it's things that we need to remember. He delivered us out of bondage. Amen. Do you love that? Moses right? They were delivered out of physical bondage. Jesus came and delivered us out of spiritual bondage. Amen? Moses was a deliverer pointing to Christ, and Jesus is the answer. And so it's all pointing to the Lord. And so as we come before him, as we pray, reminding ourselves of who we are in him, the God that we serve, he's a powerful God, he's a faithful God, he's a loving God, remembering his promises. Verse 9, and he says, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in the temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. This is a quote from back in chapter six, and what I love about this is this is a a prayer that was prayed by Solomon, and Jehoshaphat knows the prayer of Solomon, and he knows the promise of God that Lord. Whatever disaster may come our way, whatever it is that comes, whether it's famine or a war or or pestilence or whatever it is, Lord, we will stand before you and we will come in our affliction and we will trust you because you've promised to heal and to save. See, that's knowing the word of God and being able to pray according to his promises. Amen? And so, guys, when you know God's promises, it takes away the, uh, the fear it takes away this, this burden that you're holding on to. And guys, when we know that God is faithful, and we know, how many of you know that God is faithful? Okay, he's faithful. He's loving, he's merciful, he's gracious. He knows you best and he loves you most. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less or make him love you more than he already does. But guys, we should desire to have intimate fellowship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's reminding but he's talking to God, but he's really reminding himself of the promise to Solomon. A disaster comes. Lord, we're going to trust you. If I wonder again, I just love this picture of understanding the promises that God has made. By the way, you can't understand the promises that God has made if you don't read the Bible. Amen? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by. Right, so if you want more faith, spend more time in God's word. Verse 10. And now, here at the people, here, "...are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they have turned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are, regarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession." which you had given us to inherit. He's saying to God, hey God, remember, these were the guys that attacked us and you told us not to kill them, but now they're coming back to haunt us and they're coming to take us out of the very land that you gave to us. So Lord, you told us and we obeyed you by not attacking them. We obeyed you by not attacking them. And then they're coming after us to kick us out of the land that you gave us. So he's reminding, and again, more himself than anything, that this is the promise that God has made to us. And again, when we know what the word of God says, we can stand on his promises. We trust in who he is and we can stand on his promises. Lord, do now as you have said. Lord, your will be done. And again, in verse 11, here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out. God had shown this people grace when he did not allow Israel to invade and conquer them. But now it's time for the Lord to defend Israel against them. Guys, while things don't always go as planned, it's good to know that God is in control and is faithful in his promises. He would have never dreamed that because they showed them grace that they would attack him. But God knew it was coming and God is in control and God is sovereign and we can trust him. Amen? Verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? If we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, or do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you? This is a great verse. Amen? This is one of the greatest, I mean, this is to me is one of the best verses in all of the Bible of somebody just understanding that they need to be totally dependent upon God. They're like, "Look, this army's greater than us, even though they had a million-man army of their own, and, and we're, we're going to be overwhelmed by the enemy. but you know what, Lord, we do know that what to do is just to keep our eyes on you. Lord, we know that we're all outnumbered. we're going to keep our eyes on you. Lord, we're going to trust you. We're going to put our faith in you. We're not going to be overwhelmed by the size of the enemy. We're going to be comforted by the greatness of our God we have no might against this great company. Even the strong need help. Jehoshaphat was a man of God, man that had been used mightily by God. They had a great army. But see, there's none of us that are beyond needing the help of God. Amen? And when you think you don't need God's help, you're helpless. When you think you've got to that place, that's Satan-like. That's prideful. Amen? And guys, we need to stay humble, broken, and desperate. And what a picture we see here. Jehoshaphat doesn't pound his chest. that He's a great king. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't go out and round up the army and go out and fight the battle without the Lord on his side. He did that once before and almost died. He learned the lesson. So now what is he doing? He's resting in the Lord and he's trusting in him. And then he says in verse, it says in verse 13, now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Boy, I love this. So he called them all to fast and pray and the people came. And now they're in a situation, and here's the king. How many politicians, how many kings, people in authority, do you actually get up and say, we're in trouble and I can't do it, we need the Lord's help? Wouldn't that be refreshing? Amen? That's exactly what Jehoshaphat just did. That's not very, you know, that's not good for re-election. Now, he's king for life, but you know what I mean? It's like, we always want to pretend like we've got it all under control. When everybody else around you knows it's a disaster, but he gets up and he's transparent. We can't do this without the Lord. And notice what happens. All the families come together and all the children come together and they're all there united, standing before the Lord, knowing that without his help, they're in trouble. But if God is for us, who can be against us? And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? And so when the enemy attacks, often he attacks without warning. And sometimes, often, when he does attack, what we should do is stop what you were doing and seek the Lord. And that's been a great example. Again, all of Judah has gathered together. They're all crying out to the Lord in unison. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. That's what's happening here. They're being faithful to what the Word of God had taught them. Point number three, know that the Lord answers prayer. So as they're praying, they know that God's going to answer prayer. Now, he may not answer the way that they want, but they know what that his promises are in regards to that being their land, that is their nation, and they're trusting that the Lord will deliver them through it. Look what it says in verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael the son of Mathaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. So as they're praying and crying out to the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes upon and, and it being from Asaph, we know there, he's a worship leader in some way. So he's a guy that's a worship leader amongst thousands of worship leaders. And he's there in the group and they're all praying together as a nation and the Holy Spirit falls upon him. Now, remember in the Old Testament... You know, the Holy Spirit would come upon people usually for a certain amount of time for a certain task. What did David say? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, right? And we are the most blessed of all people. Now, you know, I just thought about this the other day. When we get to heaven, uh, and we're going to be there for all eternity, so at some point I'm going to get a, a Coke with one of the apostles, right? So, what was it like walking with Jesus? You know what they might ask us? What was it like? having the Holy Spirit in you your entire life from the moment you got saved. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2, right? But prior to that, they were walking with Jesus, no Holy Spirit. And you could tell by some of the things they did, amen? But, guys, we're the most blessed of all people. The Spirit of the living God lives... Because, yes, wouldn't it be amazing to walk with Jesus? Who wants to sign up for that program, amen? We're going to Israel just to walk where He walked. We're excited about that, Amen. But that being said, we shouldn't downplay the third part of the Trinity who lives inside of us and never leaves us nor forsakes us. Amen? He comforts us, he convicts us, and we're never, ever alone. Here's one of the greatest examples of a word of wisdom as the Spirit falls upon this man, and God delivers his message without confusion through a willing servant. Look what it says in verse 15. And he said, listen, all you of Judah, this is Jahaziel." And you, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor be dismayed because of the great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Now, that's a good word. Amen? But now, have you ever maybe been in an afterglow or you're in a prayer meeting and you feel like the Lord wants you to say something? Anybody ever experienced that? And have you ever just chickened out? (laughs) How do I know this is really the Lord? I mean, what if I'm wrong? You know, right? Amen. So here, the Holy Spirit, now right, look, the whole nation's there. Women and children, everybody's there. Took some boldness to do this, but the Lord moves upon his heart. It's the Holy Spirit prompting him. So he speaks up and makes a promise. And it's an amazing promise. And when you hear a promise like that, you might want to go, how do you know? Right? You know what there's there's what I love about the Holy Spirit living inside of us and the truth of God's word you know pro- prophecy isn't just foretelling it's forthtelling it's not just talking about a future event it's talking about it's proclaiming the truth of what we already know to be true amen every time you open the bible and you teach it or you share a verse with somebody and you're speaking into their life that's prophetic right it's proclaiming the truth amen And so here the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he delivers this message. They're all fasting. They're all praying. They're all waiting upon the Lord. They're crying out to God. They're in humility. Jehoshaphat himself is not, you know, taking this this role like it's all going to be about me saying the Lord has to show up. And then they get the message that again, that the Lord is with them, that the battle belongs to the Lord, that if God is for us, who can be against us? There's few things more encouraging than having Almighty God speak to you by the Holy Spirit and encourage you and strengthen you. Again, do not be afraid or dismayed because this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God's. Whatever that thing that is that you're facing, the battle is not yours, it's God's. Whatever that that difficulty, that thing that's overwhelming that you just feel like, I'll never be able to get over this, trust the Lord because God is great and he's greater than whatever you're facing. Amen? He's a great and an awesome God. Verse 16, tomorrow go down against them. So here's what he tells them. Look, God's got it. Now here's what we want you to do. So God gives you a promise, but now that promise is often followed up with an action that we need to take, right? Right? Faith plus works, right? Respond. If you truly have faith, it should impact how we behave, right? Belief impacts behavior. So if we truly believe this is true, here's what he says. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up from the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Then he says in verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Oh, Judah, and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So here's what they're told get up, march out. You're gonna to go to this place. The battle's gonna take place there. You're not gonna to have to fight, but I need you to show up. And you know what? When God uses us spiritually, God gives us a gift. The reality is that we're not the one that's fighting, God's fighting for us. Amen? But we need to show up. Amen? God wants, you know, eyes of the Lord, search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who can show himself strong on account of him. one whose heart is loyal to him. God's just looking for men and women who'll say, here I am, Lord, use me. And just show up. And just to be faithful to where God calls you to be. And see how the Lord will use you. The wilderness of that it means taught by God. I love that. Some of our greatest lessons are learned in the wilderness of life. They're going to go out into the wilderness. And he says again there, for the Lord is with you. Do not fear, the Lord is with you. Whatever you're going through tonight, do not fear, the Lord is with you. Point number four, respond with a heart of worship and praise. When the enemy attacks, respond with a heart of worship and praise. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Man, I love this response. They prayed, God answered, then God gave them instruction. And before they saw the battle had been won, they trusted the promises of God. They got on their face and they thanked the Lord. Amen? They didn't wait till it was finished. They trusted in the promise of God. They trusted in what the word of God had taught him. They worshiped. But why did they do it? They were not delivered, no. But they were sure they were going to be delivered. Delivered, worshiping, knowing that God was going to deliver them, trusting what God was going to do. Guys, we can rejoice and thank the Lord that when we close our eyes on earth, we're going to open them up in glory because God said so. Amen. We can trust in the promises that are in the future because when God says it, that settles it. And this is their response. Verse 19, and the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. See, not only did they fall on their faces to thank God, but they started worshiping him. And they worshiped him and the battle hadn't even been won yet. But they trusted that his promises are true, so they worshiped him in anticipation of what God was going to do, knowing he was going to do it because he said so. Guys, we don't praise, wait to praise God until after he gives us what we need or want. We praise God, trusting that whatever he gives us, we're going to praise him anyway. Amen? And that's the true heart of worship. Respond with praise. Verse 20, so they rose early in the morning and went into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out Jehoshaphat stood and said, "Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe the prophets, and you shall prosper." Boy, I love this. First of all, they went up they got up early in the morning and went. God told them to go, and they didn't say I'll go a week from Friday. Guys, when God calls us, let's respond now. Amen. And maybe some of you, you know, God's got, got a calling and a gifting on your life. And you've been waiting until everything was all the circumstances. I have a friend of mine that we've talked about this for 25 years. He's a gifted teacher. He's got a calling on his life. And it's always, well, as soon as my kids are all out of school, well, as soon as this happens, as soon as I pay off my house, as soon as I retire from my job. Dude, ministry is not a destination. It's a way of life. We're all in it. And we should be about it right now. Amen. And he's exhorting them. Look, let's get up in the morning. Let's go. Morning faith did more than just believe the word, but got up early and responded by faith. Again, there's follow through. Sometimes in church, we see God speaking to us. We begin to think about the things God would like to do. But again, that morning never seems to come because we never respond. So their trust in the Lord is shown by the fact that they began to praise him. And as they were worshiping him, God had a plan and he told them and he he said, look, believe the Lord your God and you shall be established. Guys, if you believe what the word of God says, you will have a foundation to live on for the rest of your life. Amen. We have a foundation. We stand on God's word, not the promises of the government or the opinions of man, but the word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. Amen. And we stand on his word and he's a faithful God. He says at the end of that verse, good verse 21, and when he had consulted, I'm running out of time here as you can tell. So when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should sing praise, uh, praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So as they're on their way to go fight the battle, the worship leaders are leading the way. When they were marching through uh, the wilderness in the shape of a cross, Judah, the tribe Judah led away, and Judah means praise. Guys, it's praise that leads us into God's presence. It should be praise that, you know, leads the way for our lives every day. We should be praising him without ceasing. Amen? And they trusted and rested in the mercies of God. Look at point number five there. Know that the battle belongs to the Lord. Look at verse 22. Now it began to sing and to praise the Lord. set ambushes. Against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, when they came against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. You know, while the Holy Spirit's not the author of confusion, uh, the Lord can confuse the enemy. Amen? And what do they do? They start fighting with each other. And by the time they're going to show up here in the next verse, next couple verses, they're going to show up and look down and everybody's dead already. The battle was won by the Lord and God was faithful and he's greater than, than any enemy we may face. Keep your eyes on the Lord and leave the battle in his hands, not in your own. Look at verse number six, verses 24 to 30. Thank the Lord for his blessings and victory. Look what it says here. So when Judah came to a place of overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude and there are their dead bodies fallen on the earth and no one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves and more than they could carry away. And there were three days gathering the spoils because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Berkah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place is called Valley of Berkah until this day. Berkah means a place of worship. And so they returned every man, Judah and Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat, in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. Notice they're not asking for riches. They're not asking for worldly blessings. They're simply asking to, for God to show up and for God to do a mighty work. And they've surrendered their lives completely to the Lord. And then God just chooses to bless them in a physical way. You know, by the way though, I think sometimes there are people that shouldn't be blessed physically because that would take your eyes off of Jesus. And so sometimes it's better, it's better to be poor and desperate for God than to be wealthy and lose, lose sight of Him. At the same time, it's not sinful to have wealth as long as it, it doesn't possess you, amen? As long as it doesn't take your eyes off of the Lord. And the Lord just chooses to bless them because He can. And He blesses them in a physical way because they were surrendered to Him spiritually. Thank the Lord for His blessing and victory. And again, berakah means blessing, and the blessing of Israel had come upon them And they were thankful. Notice what it says here. So they they came to Jerusalem with their string instruments and harps, verse 28, and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for as God gave them rest all around. When they found out that the battle took place and all three of these armies coming together killed each other, They could not attribute it to anything other than the God of Israel. And so the rest of the nations are going, hey, don't mess with the God of Israel. That's not good. And what happens is that God gave them peace and everybody else feared the God of Israel because they saw what God did. So the children of Israel and Jerusalem, Judah, could live in peace because they knew that God was for them. And because God was for them, they had nothing to fear. Amen? And I just love that verse there. They heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. When they realized what has happened, the other kingdoms were in fear. Sometimes you're going to go through a trial so God can show up and do a mighty work so other people can recognize that the God that you serve is God. Amen? Amen? I texted this lady today. As I pray, God puts people in my heart and I text them just to ask how they're doing. And I reached out to her today. And for 15 years, I witnessed to her. And the, and the only reason she started coming to church, she was a Muslim. And she came to church because I spent almost a year in the hospital. I had a com- I was in a coma for a long time. She was calling our church constantly. Even though she would mock my faith at work, she was concerned because I did nothing but love on her. And finally, she said, if you ever come back to work, if you ever come back to your church, I'm coming. Took me going to the hospital to get her to church and it was worth it. Can I get an amen to that? Because... Fast forward a couple years after that, she gave her life to the Lord. She drove all the way down here to Malibu when we had a, uh, from San Jose when we had a baptism and I baptized her and she sends me Bible verses. See, sometimes we go through trials, no suffering is wasted and God will use it for his glory if we will but let him, amen? And that's exactly what t- can take place. So just remember that God will use it for his glory. And then finally, as we're out of time, last point, verses 31 to 37, watch it out. So Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old. When he became king, he had reigned 25 years in Jerusalem, so he's 60, my age, good job. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Sh- Shahi. And it says, as he walked the way of his father Asa, Asa was a godly king, it did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. A couple quick points as we finish. He was obeying God, but the people were still worshiping in the high places, which is where they had idols. And, and in some cases, they would say, well, I'm going to go there, but I'm going to be worshiping God. I'm just going to do it there because it's closer to my house. It's convenient, right? And so we're seeing that while Jehoshaphat can follow God with his whole heart, he cannot force his people to follow God. And that's one of the biggest heartbreaks for all of us, no doubt, that we have people that we love that are not following the Lord and we cannot force them to follow God. What we can do is we can pray for them. We can encourage them. We can be a christ like example to them. We can minister to them, but ultimately it's up to them to choose today whom they're going to serve. Amen. But we need to pray for them and it's heartbreaking because we'd love to make that decision for them. Now, finishing up, notice it says there in verse 32, uh, verse thirty-three or thirty-two, and as he walked in the way of Asa, he did not turn aside from doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places. Verse thirty-four. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first and last, indeed they are written in the book of Jehu, the son of Hananiah, which is mentioned in the book of the Kings of Israel. Now watch this. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Azariah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. What just happened? you're reading along. This is a great chapter. Praise the Lord. He's falling on his face before God. He's crying out to the Lord. They're fasting and praying. They're giving God all the glory. And then, oh, you know, Ahab's son wants to align with me to buy a bunch of ships so we can create our own Navy and go import gold. What are you doing, Jehoshaphat? Lord help. Look what's happening. He allied himself with him, to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made ships in Ezan-Geber. But Eleazar, the son of Dodova, of Mershah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, because you have allied, allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. The ships were wrecked, so they were not able to go to Tarshish. So here's this man being used mildly by the Lord and he gets distracted by the desire to become wealthy. Didn't God just give them a ton of spoils just a minute, a few verses back? Didn't he bless them with all this stuff? And here's what can happen. Guys, we we can be walking with the Lord and if the enemy can't destroy you, he will do everything he can to distract you. If he can't get you to follow him head first, he will get you to do anything else that keeps your eyes off of the Lord and the calling God has placed upon your life. When I think of that, I always think of Samson. God had a calling on his life, and he was was a he-man, it was she-weak, amen? And he followed, and and, and the same can happen to us. And you see this Jehoshaphat, just mighty man of God, he's walking in the ways of the Lord, and then he aligns himself with Ahab's son, even though it was Ahab when he served him that he almost died. And then praise the Lord for the prophet who came along and said, yeah, that's not going to work, God's not doing that that Navy or building, we're going to sink all the ships. Praise God that he sinks the ships sometimes. Amen? Amen. So we get our eyes back on the Lord. So in closing, thank you for your patience. Uh, When the enemy attacks, he attacks often without warning. When we're in fruitful times, when we're comfortable, God's doing a good work. What should we do? Stop whatever you're doing and seek the Lord. Then Know that the Lord answers prayer. When you're seeking the Lord and you're praying, know who you're praying to, trust in his promises and know that he will answer His prayer, answer your prayer in his timing. Respond with a heart of worship and praise. Guys, we don't praise him enough. We could praise him until the end of time and it wouldn't be enough. But when, when the Lord... Responds when he answers our prayer, regardless of the answer, we should praise him in the midst of it. Know that the battle belongs to the Lord. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever that thing is, it's overwhelming. Leave it in God's hands and know that God is greater than whatever your circumstances are. Thank the Lord for his blessing and victory. To him alone be all the praise, honor, and glory. And learn from your mistakes. Don't repeat them like we just saw Jehoshaphat do with Ahab's son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We know we looked at a lot of verses tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you'd minister to every heart, that you would strengthen us and encourage us. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you, not on the storms, not on the size of the enemy. Lord, help us not to walk in our own strength, but surrender fully to you. Lord, to praise you in the midst of the storm, to praise you when you answer prayer, regardless if if the answer is the one we want or not. We trust that whatever the answer is, it's what's best for us. Help us, Lord to walk in the center of your will, to be the men and women of God you call called us to be. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said...